Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Praise the name of Jesus. I'm going to go right into it. There's so much to unpack. I'm going to go at it as fast as I can. You know, we're talking about something very important and something that is very unique to every single person. Many of us come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences, different families, different belief systems, different values, different experiences altogether. And this kind of teaching cuts across all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. Everyone, I believe everyone can benefit from this. And maybe you're thinking, uh, well, this kind of teaching, and just in case you didn't see the posters already, we're talking about Papa, Mama, Pekin. We're talking about the construct of a family, of a father, mother, and child relationship. And for some of you, you're like, ah, I don't really want to be thinking about my parents right now or talking about my family. I promise you, you want to listen to this. It literally <laughs> is a matter of life and death, and I'm going to prove it to you. But on a lighter note, I want to just show you how and why this is very important for us to study, the concept of family in God's book. When you look at marriage, when you look at the concept of marriage, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about it very beautifully. And Paul tells us, releases this wonderful mystery. He tells us, look, this thing has been a mystery from the get-go. But here is the mystery revealed. That when a man leaves his father's house to join with his wife and they become one flesh, it is a reflection, it is a demonstration, an institution, a societal institution that reflects a spiritual reality. That the, the relationship and joining of a man and woman can literally be a prototype, a typology of the relationship between Christ and the church. That is so powerful. But the same thing applies to a family. A family is a societal institution, but it has spiritual consequences, spiritual implications. How can God help you understand something as beautiful as being a part of his family? Something as beautiful as having siblings not bonded by blood but by spirit. By you having a home, a safe space, a place full of love and fellowship and happiness. How could he do that except he shows you with an earthly example? And that's where the idea of family comes in. How would you know that he is father? That he is a good shepherd? He is a good father? How would you know? Except he showed it to you with examples in men and women who take up the role of a parent. And in the family, you have children there, and there is a sibling, you know, there's a sibling brotherhood going on there where you, you can have brothers and sisters. The concept of a family is prototypical of the family of God in heaven, the body of Christ in general. And I hope we see the importance of it. God wants that marriages work. It is his desire that marriages work. It is also his desire that families work, that families prosper, no matter how wrong and wretched and dysfunctional and almost irreparable they might seem. God wants families 
to prosper. And when you have a good picture of what family looks like, it helps your understanding of what God's family looks like. Praise the name of Jesus. Everyone must have a family. Everyone. That's how God designed it. Everyone must have parents. And that's not to say that you have parents alive right now, but you came from somewhere. You had parents. You were born from people where two people in their love came together. You came about to be. So ideally, the, 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 the arrangement and God's design for humanity was family. But what I realized is that we, as we age, as we grow into adulthood, we start to lose hold of very important things to us in our lives. We start to misunderstand God's intentions for our, for our lives and for our families. And for many others, maybe you've had a terrible experience in your past with your family, or maybe you're still having those experiences right now, but you want to build a family in the future, yet you want to have your own kids, you want to have your own spouse, you want to raise a family. But the question is, how can you do that if you don't know the right way to build, if you don't have the right example to build with? Praise the name of Jesus. This teaching by the grace of God will help you understand particularly, particularly how to handle, manage your parents and your guardians and or your guardians. Those who are kept over care over you, whether they are spiritual parents or, you know, your, your nuclear parents, right? Um, specifically your nuclear parents. So I want to talk about the areas that... I believe we need to grow in our relationship with our parents. Do you think it's important? By the grace of God, I, I have two parents. <laughs> Ideally, that should be the number, right? Um, but I'm saying that because they're both still alive by the mercies of God. Um, and I'm grateful. I mean, they've had near-death experiences. They've had close classes with them. I'm just grateful to God that they're still alive. But I can tell you, categorically speaking that my parents are amazing people. They are. By all means, they're amazing. And as I grew from infanthood to, to my teenage years, my prepubescent and pubescent, pubescent years, and as I crossed over to being a young adult, I've realized some things that helped me manage these people. I'm telling you, you know, there's a saying that, that comes, and it's very true. It says you can't step on people's toes unless you're in proximity with them literally and figuratively. You, if you want to step on someone's toes, you literally have to be close to them to step on their toes. The same way applies to those who are close to you. They will step on your toes. They will get on your nerves. They, they sometimes might provoke you, but there, there are ways to handle this. There are ways to interact. There are ways to grow the relationship. And maybe yours is not the case like mine, where your parents were understanding. Maybe they were not. They were just not having it. And, and your experience with your parents was just flat out wrong, abusive. Look, I'm not promising you anything. This is not a promise to tell you everything can just get better with a snap of a finger. I'm going to talk about how to handle difficult parents as we go on, but just remember this. God is a perfect gentleman. As much as I, I am very optimistic, trust me, I'm one of the most optimistic people you'll ever meet. But when it comes to human beings and their free will, my optimism has a limit because even God himself 
being the gentleman that he is, did not rise from the grave and appear in the sky and with his loudest microphone said, Hey, everybody, listen, listen, listen. Everybody, hey, 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 who is that? And they saw Jesus. I told you, ha, ha, Pharisees, hey, hey, you were so far to see. And you Sadducees were so sad to see. All of you will now bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. I will, honestly, sometimes I wish he did that. Sometimes I, I wish he did that just so that people had literally, literally no other excuse to throw into the, into, into the box. That he really said, you know, he was who he was. And I'm telling you, even when people saw Jesus rise from the dead like that, some people will still not believe. I'm telling you. The point I'm trying to tell you is that when it comes to free will, God will not force himself on anyone. He will not make anyone change anything. Do you understand? He will appeal. He will send people, send prophets to appeal. But if a man or a woman is not willing to change their mind about something, to truly repent, there's, there's really nothing you can do when you think about it. So with, when it comes to bad parents or parents who have been abusive and, you know, maybe somewhere in your heart you still want God to transform their lives and they know him, I wish to God that that is it. But this is not a promise for that. It's a promise for you that by the, if you apply the things you learn today, you can manage your parents, whatever the circumstance it is. You can love them the way they should be loved. You can respect them the way they should be respected. But you can manage them the way they should be managed according to God's word. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's sad that we have you know, bad examples of parents these days. But sadly, as much as we can, we can try. We can preach the word. We can send people to help do that. But if they're not willing to change, there's really nothing that can be done. That said, let me show you those three areas that I believe we all need to grow uh, in our relationships with our parents. Number one, growing in favor. I want you to write that down. I hope you're with your Bibles. I hope you're, you're with your books. This is a good time to write. Growing in favor. Growing in favor. You can grow in favor. Your favor, and when I say favor, I mean where people look upon you and are just willing to go out of their way to get you what you need. They just somehow set you apart from everyone else. You know, when you look at the story of Joseph, Joseph was a favored child. Joseph was a favored child. He was loved by Jacob. Jacob even had him made a coat of many colors and the jealousy from the other brothers was obvious. It was clear, clear as day that he was a favored child. There's just something that can set you apart with, with your, you, you know, in, in the sight of your parents. But I'm telling you, you can grow even in that favor. Luke chapter 2, verse, verse 52, I beg your pardon. Luke chapter 2 from verse 52 tells us about Jesus. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor. And if I said favor, my goodness, in favor with God and men. Look at that. So he grew in wisdom. As he grew in age, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, bodily, and he also grew in favor with God and men. So men favored him. They set him apart. They gave him benefits. You know, when you talk about grace, um, you know, grace is unmerited favor. But in this case, in many ways, it was unmerited and merited, where you're just giving benefits 
that others are not enjoying because you're special. That's another word to use favor. Um, to use for favor, right? And the biblical way to grow in favor with anyone, honestly, especially with your parents, is this. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. I'm going to talk about this, and, and as I'm laying it out, I want you to see something. I want you to see that your parents and what they think about you and what they say about you, it matters. We live in a generation that barely considers the old or the elderly, barely considers the generations past. We, yes, there's so much exposure. To be honest, the new generations as they come, they come smarter. They come more aware. They come more informed and exposed. But somehow we throw away the wisdom of the old. We, we throw away the wisdoms of prior generations, their experiences, their learnings. We throw it all away. We don't honor that. But we're not those kinds of people. Amen. Our honor will not be dependent upon the generation that we stand in. No. It's always going to be based on the inspiration of the word of God. I want to give you some examples, three examples to be, insight, to be, to be specific, to be exact. Three examples where you see the, the, the disposition or the perspective that the parents had to their children really mattered. It really mattered and counted for their destiny. Where what the parents said over these people, where the parents, uh, you know, their heart towards their children, how it resulted in actual consequences in the long run. I'm going to show you examples. Number one. When we look at this man named Isaac, this man who his wife was barren for a long time, Rebecca, but finally he had twins. He had Esau, he had Jacob. And it got to the point where Jacob was a farm, you know, was this hunter. He would hunt for meat and Jacob tended to the sheep and also uh, was a farmer as well. And, you know, it came to a day, you know the story how um, Jacob duped his brother of his birthright, sold it for a morsel of porridge, and Asaru, let me not get into that. Asaru, he sold his birthright for Asaru. It's crazy. You know, and there's so much to say about Esau, but that was not where it stopped. Jacob took it to the next level. And so hungry for affection and favor, this guy, you know, his mom, and when you think about it, his mom also seemed to favor him. His mom, you know, um, had already been made aware, you know, beforehand somehow that the younger, uh, the, the older will serve the younger. And so she was listening to Isaac. Isaac told his son Esau, he said, go and hunt for me. Get me meat, prepare it for me so I can eat it. When I'm satisfied with the meat, I will bless you. It was good. It was assumed, by the way, if you didn't know. Assumed, proper assumed, goat meat. The Bible said it. It was goat meat. And, you know, Rebecca heard of it. And she went to, I think he was going to get venison, but, and that's dare meat. And Rebecca heard of all that Isaac had said. She went to tell Jacob, said, Jacob, your father wants to bless your senior brother. You need to quickly go. He has gone to hunt. Go and get goat meat, proper, sweet, pepper, spicy. Let it touch his heart. Cook this food. I know if I don't worry, I'll cook it for you. She cooked this thing. Said, but you need to present it to your father. I'll take the, 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 you know, the, the hairy um, skin of the goat and wrap it around your arm so that it will feel like you're Esau indeed. You know, and Isaac was, was, you know, he was blind at this point. 
And so Jacob carries the son, meets him. And Isaac says, ah, you sound like Jacob. This is this boy. You sound like Jacob. I said, oh, no, no, dad. It's, it's me, Esau. I am here. This is your, the son you asked for. If I let me touch you. Felt it. I was like, ah, you have the body of Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Oh, well. Eat the food. <laughs> I want no concern whether you are Esau or Jacob. Just, it's the food I want. You know, and eat the food. You know, and look at what it says. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. In fact, look at verse 12. In Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27 from verse 12, it says, you know, um, after, this is what he even said, as he was going to approach his father and, you know, made up the plan to, be, to have, you know, hairy hands from the goat's skin. He said, my father, you know, I need to do this. Perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be mocking him, which he literally was doing. But he said, I don't want him to think I'm mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. There was a seriousness with which he saw the, the, the verdict of his father. If his father said a thing concerning him, there was literal fear upon him. That, look, I, I cannot make a mistake. I am worried. If my father curses me, ha, is the blessings I want. Look at how they went out of their way to get the blessings of a man called Isaac. Look at that. And after this man ate, look at verse 20, verse 28. He starts to bless him. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow to you. Look at the blessings. That you'll be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. So it's beyond Esau and Jacob. Now they, they had more sons. But he said, look, everyone will bow down to you. That's what he said. So he blessed Jacob. And by the way, when you read the narrative of Jacob, you see that Jacob was a blessed man. This man was established, established, established. He was literally called Israel. Think about that. God's chosen people. <laughs> and then when you read it, look at how Esau speaks when he finds out about this. Look at this. He said, look, I am your son. Verse 32. You know, when... when um, he came to meet Isaac. Isaac said, who are you? He said, I'm your son. I'm your firstborn son, Esau. And Isaac trembled very violently. Ha! Huh. Look, at, look at the expression here. Verse 33. Isaac trembled very violently. I said, ah! Ha! Huh. Wait, wait, wait. Who was it that, that, that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before, you know, before, before you came. And I've blessed him. Yes. Look at the ending of that statement. Then who is the person that actually came before you and I blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. That statement is so powerful. He said, I've blessed him and that's it. It's, it's not reversible. I've blessed him and he will be blessed. There's nothing you can do about it. Look at that, verse 37. Isaac answered and said, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers have given for him servants and grain and wine have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Look, at, it's interesting. And many of us don't realize the, 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 the implications of parental blessing, parental approval. This man, it was almost like he was writing a will 
a man who had maybe, you know, $5 billion to his name and was writing his will and saying, look, I'm signing this, that Jacob will have four out of the five billion and have my mansions and have, it almost seemed like that. And when you stamp it and it's signed, there's nothing you can do. It's the will. That's almost how it seemed. And look at this. Then, then he goes around. He said, I've given you the blessing, but for you, Esau, this is what, is, this is what I have. Look at verse 39. Very sad. Then Isaac, his father, said, you know, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. Ah, and away from the dew of heaven. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. And that's exactly what happened. He started with some curses. You will struggle. You will live by the sword. You will be a man of war and battle. And he was. When he started the, 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 you know, the people, the Edomite people. And then, but eventually he broke free from that and became successful. But look at that. Look and that. As Isaac had said concerning both of them, that is what happened. Look at the verse. Uh, the second person I, I want to mention, Noah. When Noah, the ark had landed, they had escaped the flood, and they were going to settle and start to multiply again. Look at Genesis chapter 9 from verse 20. This is super important. I love that we have the time to go through, to go through scripture, study the Bible. That's what this is. We're doing a proper Bible study. I want it to sink in so you're not mistaken about what is at stake here. Mm, mistaken about what is at stake. Ah, this thing is good. Ah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Genesis 9 verse 20. Noah began to be a man of soil and he planted a vineyard. And verse 21, he drank of the wine, he became drunk. You know that, right? Verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. And mockingly so. The description is that he saw his father's nakedness and went to rant to his other brothers. <laughs> Come and see your father. See your papa. Look at this. <laughs> and he went to his brothers. And then Shem and Japheth, when they heard that, they were like, Come on, grow up, dude. They got a blanket and they went to cover him laid it on his shoulders, covered him completely, and their faces were turned backwards and did not see their father's nakedness. So when they went in, they even went in looking away, covered his nakedness and walked out out of respect and honor. Look at verse 24. When Noah woke up from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done, what Ham did, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Then what he said in verse 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. <laughs> May God enlarge Japheth, let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And, and this might seem small, and I believe from, from Old Testament historians and theologians, this is where you see the Canaanite people literally be the servants to the Israelites, to bow and give way, give way to the land of the people of God that were chosen uh, by God. From a moment like this where Ham, the youngest son, dishonored his father and he came with a curse. He came with a curse. My goodness. This is heavy stuff. The next person I'll, I'll, I'll mention to you is Jacob and I'll be very quick. Jacob um, got to the point where he called all his sons. And I love this. You see a, a picture of these fathers and sons, especially those who understand 
the weight of the generation to follow, when they understand the weight of the responsibilities their children will play in the generation to come. It's important. It's important to pass across the blessings of God into their lives. You can impart, you know, for, just for you to remember that you can impart and receive impartations that will sustain you and your generations. I'm telling you. Look at what you know, Jacob is saying. He's talking to the different, he talks to Reuben. If you see what he said about his eldest son, Reuben, you'll be so sad, like, oh, yikes. But look at Judah. He speaks about Judah. And there are literally four verses just for this guy. Maybe five, five verses for, for Judah. You know, he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hands will be on the neck of your enemies. You will literally strangle your enemies. Your father's sons will bow to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. Look at that. I love that phrase. I don't want to get into it, but it stood out for me. You return from the prey, my son. Like, you return from the prey. The, the, the prey might want to attack you, but you come out from the prey. The, 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 the prey, the, man, this is beautiful. I'll get, I don't want to get into that. Verse 10. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Listen, the scepter, scepter indicates royalty, authority. It will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will, look at that. This is the prophecy of the Messiah, a messianic prophecy. And this is Jacob casually blessing his son. And says this messianic prophecy that through you, the Messiah will come. And he also speaks well of Joseph. You know, Joseph is a fruitful vine. You know, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. He goes on to say these things that, you know, it just talks about blessings. Blessings, 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 blessings. Look at that. And Joseph honored his father. Even though his, his brothers had messed up, he honored his father, preserved them in a time of famine. Look at this. Verse 28, Genesis 9, 28. Let me just land on this. It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, the 12 sons of Israel, including Benjamin. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Man, I, I cannot emphasize this more. It, it's important that you realize your parents are literally small g, gods over you, to raise you, to, to, to usher you and, and build your life, literally to rear you, to groom you, prepare you for all the work that God will have you do. They're literally set over you. And when God gives someone authority over you, the things they say over you counts. It counts. What's, what is said over you matters. It really does matter. And I want you to see that. I want you to grow in your, your understanding that the, the things your parents say to you, they don't just carry physical or maybe emotional weight. Maybe they call you, you are a stupid boy, and that one hits you, ah, not, you know, and it, it pains you, it really pains you. But it goes beyond that. There are spiritual implications. When what a parent says to you, they say it from the bottom of their heart, ah, I just pray what they're saying, actually good things, blessings. You know, something my mom did growing up, and I, I, and I respect her so much for that. 
she she's grown up around people you know especially in our part of the world where you can just rain as abuses you can just say anything to someone lori buruku you are you are you know say all sorts of things to people and my mom said look instead of using those words <laughs> she would rather use good words so if i if i mess up that means good child you're not serious why did you do that you know she replaced those bad words with good words because she really understood the implications of speaking words over her children. It matters. It matters. So Ephesians 6, Paul is teaching here, and he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord as long as you still have parents you are a child. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Obey them. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And now this is where it gets dicey. Now you see how it links up. And what is the promise? You also see this in, in Exodus chapter 20 verse, verse 12. What is the promise here? That your days may be long. And that way Paul puts it here is that it may go well with you. And that you may live long in the land. Have you, have you really sat down to think about this? How does honoring my parents, my father and my mother, how does that play in the preservation of my life? That because of that I will live long. How does it play? I hope you see it now. I hope you see that your honor for them is honor to God. I hope you see that. I hope you realize that they carry authority over your lives. And what they speak about you matters. It has a promise. If you honor them, you will live long. You will live long. <laughs> You'll be preserved. Colossians 3.20 says something similar. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obey them in everything. It pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. Your obedience to your parents pleases God. Leviticus 20 verse 9. Now, I want to bring some level of... I want, I want to show you how this was in the law. Right? The literal implications of honoring your father and your mother. For anyone who curses his father or his mother. Leviticus 20 verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Look at that. I know this is under the law, but that was literally, think about it, that disobedience to, to parents was punishable by death. Think about that for a second. It's huge. And, and many times we, we easily can downplay it so much that we don't see the relevance. Yes, you live in a, in a place of grace, and I like that you do. You have grace speaking for you. Thank God for that. But I promise you, at the end of the day, these are not commandments that we outgrow. The Ten Commandments are the moral law. We don't outgrow them. You don't ever stop murdering. You don't ever stop committing adultery. You, know, you don't ever stop paying attention to those laws that you don't commit adultery, you don't lie, you don't you know, honor your father and mother. No. No. And I have a very unpopular opinion. When, I, when it comes to this text, I have a very uh, unpopular opinion. Could it be possible? I'm just saying. 
Could it be possible that a reason behind some strange and maybe what we call untimely deaths could result from something like this because of this? Because the person did not honor his father and mother. Could that be possible? That the person does not live long in the land because of this? Is it possible? I absolutely believe so. I literally believe there's a direct implication. Look at that. It was repeated in the New Testament. It didn't, it didn't just stop in Exodus 20. Old Testament, sit down. This is a new dispensation. Paul revealed that this still has implications for us as New Testament believers in honoring, obeying our parents. This is how you grow in favor with them, where you honor them. Praise the name of Jesus. But let me help you understand what honor looks like. Maybe I've been using the word honor your father. And then you're like, what does honor really mean? Like, how do you actually show honor? Is it by saying yes, sir, yes, ma, doing everything? Yes. Is that what honor looks like? Let me help you. Number one, this is very interesting. Number one is give financially. That's what honor means. That's what honor looks like. When you give financially or materially to your parents. I'll give you some scriptures just to prove this for you. I know it's interesting. You'd have expected saying good morning, sir, good morning, ma. You know, especially in our culture. Or prostrating or kneeling down, whatever your culture is. But giving financially, giving materially is a way to honor. Look at this. Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Open your Bibles there, please. Romans chapter 13, verse 7. I want to show you something there. It says this, Pay to all what is owed to them. Listen, pay to all what is owed to them. So you're talking about money, right? Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. Honor, to whom honor is owed. Look at the context. You're talking in terms of financials, material. When you respect, it's in material things. When you honor, in this context, it is material things. It says honor to whom honor is owed. The Greek word for honored here is timen. T-I-M-E-N. It means to put value or to put a price to something. Literally, to put a price to something. So your honor for this person is so great that you're putting a price to quantify that honor. For example, if you just like someone that you just, maybe you see someone and you honor someone, a beggar on the street, you just say, ah, let me just assess you and rate you. Maybe you're probably worth just 500 naira. Take. That's honor. But you see someone that has the potential to change your life and the person needs what you have. Come on, you would, you would sow the seed in honor. You would give 100,000, 500,000, 1 million. The point of honor is you put a price and value to it. You know, and that's exactly the root word in Ephesians 6, 2, where it says, honor your father and mother. The Greek word there was, is with a variation of timen, is tima, which means to put a price to your honor. Powerful stuff. You see it also in 1 Timothy 5, 3, where it says, honor widows who are truly widows. When you talk about widows, you're talking about people who have, don't have some um, covering their husbands have passed away and so maybe they're struggling to fend for themselves fend for their finances when you say honor widows you're not just talking about hey well done ma you are good ma god bless you ma you you had a good you have a good life ma god bless you ma god you are good ma god bless you ma eh? how's the family <laughs> no that's not what honor is honor is these people will definitely have needs 
You know, God in scriptures puts them in the categories of, of orphans, is orphans, widows, those in need. So you're talking material honor. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. So you see, clearly you can honor the Lord and you can honor people generally with wealth. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of your produce. So it's important to realize that when it comes to honor, think materially. Honor your parents. Honor them. I'm not telling you to buy a house for them. If you can, buy. If you have the resources, please buy. I beg you. It counts for much. Do you see what, do you see what Isaac, Isaac showed a principle? He said, I'm going to bless you, but before I bless you, before I bless you, I want you to serve me. Go and do this, do that, do this. When I'm satisfied from the satisfaction of my heart, when my perspective about you is all that is good, and knowing that you have blessed me, from that will spring up the blessings. It's important to know that. It's important to know this. As little as sending airtime, data, calling credit, whatever it is, sending, you know, you have, maybe you are being paid 100,000 a month in Naira as your salary. Just take some money out of it, send to them. I just want to appreciate you for all that you've done for me, mom. I just want to appreciate you for all that you've done for me, dad. Send the money to them. If all you can afford is 5,000, send it. Don't send it. You spent, you spent more on shawarma, you know. And pizza and coastal, you have, you know. And, you are, and maybe you are still under their house. You are living there. You're, your parents are still paying the rent. No pun intended. And you are enjoying all those privileges. They paid your school fees. Ah. God will ask you questions, though. Ah, <laughs> uh ah. -uh. You, when was the last time you gave them something? When? When was the last time you showed appreciation for the love and kindness that your parents have shown you, if at least they have been kind to you? I mean, I'm not saying parents are perfect, but this is a way to honor them. This is a way to honor them. You can buy clothes. You can buy gifts. Give them gifts. Often, as often as you can. I can tell you that I am what I am, enjoying privileges I'm enjoying because my parents bless me. My parents bless me. They speak well of me. That's what it means to bless. They speak well of me. And I'm blessed for it because I took the time to understand this. I took the time to practice this. I still do it today without fail. By the grace of God. I, I, I'm telling you, as small as the little things I had that maybe some uncle visited. I'm telling you, I used to practice this as, since I was young. So my uncle visited, gave me money, 5,000 naira. Out of the 5,000, I'll take 1,000 at least and give my parents. And they'll, they'll be the ones to tell me, ah, no, 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 uh -uh. it's for you, use it. Do you understand? But, but honor, materially, honor financially. Number two, another way to honor is by giving respect. By giving respect. And, and I'll explain what this means. And to be honest with you, respect means different things for different people. I'll use personal experiences so you can understand. Respect means different things for different people. I believe there's something called, as much as there are love languages, I believe there are also respect languages, honor languages, I believe so. So for some parents, like in my family, when I greet my dad, when I greet my mom, I simply just say, hi dad, how are you? Good morning. That's it, I'm not kidding. We just say, how are you? You know, we talk like that, boom, boom, bam. 
My mom, hi mom, I'm not even say good morning ma, how are you ma? Mm -mm. Good morning mom, give her a hug, how are you? Boom. And to her, that is respect. If she, if I do something otherwise, it would be strange. I remember the time I was like, ah, I went to meet my dad, I said, good morning sir, how are you sir? And he was like, ah, why are you calling me sir? <laughs> Literally, he said that. It was strange to him. But there are other families that, eh? Dad, who is dad? Who's your dad? Call me, sir. <laughs> What's your problem? There are families like that where you must prostrate, you must bend down. What happened to your back? What, what happened to your back? You, these children, you cannot greet again. You cannot. Ah, this is your generation. Proud. Look at you. Look at your shoulder. You cannot bend again to say good morning. You know? <laughs> Whatever your culture is, learn. Whatever looks like respect to these people, discern it. And make sure you express your respect in that way. I'm not trying to give you a prescription. You know what respect looks like. Give it as often as you can. If it's bowing down, bending down, kneeling down, whatever it is, do it. Do it, please. Do it. Praise the Lord. Then another thing to give is obedience. This is how to honor. Give obedience. Give obedience. Heed their instructions, right? You know, Proverbs 6, verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's commandments. Proverbs 6, 30. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. Proverbs 13, verse 1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So when your parents tell you to do things, obey, do it, heed their instructions. You know, that scripture in Colossians says, Colossians 3, it says, Obey your parents in all things, in everything. Everything, whether it is comfortable or not. Whether they are sitting down, <laughs> the remote of the TV is just there. And they call you all the way from upstairs. Toji! Toji! Toji Adebeshi! Come downstairs and they said your full name. Ha! Heaven on earth. Ha! You know, chaos everywhere. You run. Hey, hey. They called my name, my full name. You run downstairs. Ah, daddy. Mother, sir. Yes, sir. You called me, sir. Ah, uh, Tunji. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, please help me. Buy me uh, more remotes. Wa. You know, bring this remote. Sir? <laughs> yeah, bring the remote for me, please. It's far. But the remote is just there, sir. It's, okay, sir. <laughs> as silly as it might be sometimes, pro I promise you I understand. Obey. Yes, you have just washed all the plates, did all the chores. There are other siblings not doing anything in the house. You are the one doing everything. After you're done, you finally want to chill, relax, take some nice drink, watch Netflix. You say, eh, Abeke, come. Abeke, come, come. Please, 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 go and meet that woman. Help me deliver this thing to her family. And they're giving you errand, errand, open errand. And you're just like, why? Why am I the only one? I know. Children, obey your parents in all things. I know what, I know what I'm saying. I am not saying you will never speak. I'm not saying you're not a robot. And we're going to talk about that. There's a way to approach things like this, where you express your displeasure, but you express it in wisdom. But as far as you are concerned, 
you must obey your parents. The disclaimer I will put is that the only way and the only place you must not obey your parents, it, if it's in, in direct contradiction with the word and will of God. If what they're telling you to do, they're telling you to steal, if there is a moral or unethical, if there's an immoral or unethical instruction given to you, by all means, you have a right to stand on the integrity of the word of God and honor God above all. I'm telling you this, free of charge. Your approach also matters, but if they tell you to steal, to lie, to adjust some numbers, to tell you to gossip, tell you to do this, by all means, no. 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 Praise the name of Jesus. But please, listen to your parents and obey them. And number four, another way to show honor is by giving unconditional love. Giving unconditional love. Show it when it's hard to, even when it's hard to. Unconditional love means, look, and, and by the way, a lot of your parents have shown this to you and you don't realize that there was nothing about you that was special. The only reason, the only factor was the fact that you were theirs. You, they brought you into the world. There was not, you had not earned a degree. You had not won that athletics competition or that science Olympiad or you were not first in your class, there was nothing you could do to earn their care and love for you when you were born. It was unconditional. And it's only expected that you reciprocate the same. And now, even from the reality that you are a New Testament believer who was forgiven freely of your sins, and now you're expected to do the same to others. You can love unconditionally. I know sometimes they can be on your back. I know sometimes they can be irritated. With all due respect, Saz and Maz listening, they, they can be infuriating, annoying. I don't know what the case is in your family, but you can love them. You can love them. You have the grace, you have the ability now with the new covenant to love, to love regardless. Whether they did right or wrong, you will love them. Say, I will love unconditionally. It doesn't matter what has been done to me, regardless. Say, regardless. Regardless, <laughs> I choose to love. Hallelujah. When they shout on you or shout at you, when they don't understand your position, when they shut you down and shut you up and they don't want to listen to you, love them. Love them. When they step on your toes, love them. That's how to honor them. I want to give you a chance. I want to give you a chance. Some of the things I've said are very weighty, and I want you to understand. It's, it's very weighty. Speaking to you right now, it's, it's a moment of reflection and inflection for me. It is. A moment of introspection. Guys, if there's any place, my friends, where you have erred in your honor, where you have dishonored your parents, you know. You spoke back at them. You raised your voice at them. You spoke against them behind their backs. You gossiped. You slandered. You dishonored them. You did not show love to them. You have, not, you've been, you, you, you have forgotten or not even adopted the practice of generosity towards them to meet their needs. I want to give you a few seconds now. I want you to repent. And by the mercies of God, I believe that God will deliver many of you from some problems. You need to realize this. I wish I could share some stories with you. I've seen a parent. I am not kidding. I don't want to mention the name because maybe the person might, might find this teaching somewhere or somehow. 
But there was a parent, a, a, a mother in question. Her daughter said some hurtful things to her. They had this back and forth. They fought, fought, fought. And the daughter said something about her in relation to her husband. And that just broke the cord. The, the woman lost it. The mother in question lost it. And she said, as you have said to me this thing, it will be so with you. She said it with that. She said it so passionately that the summary of what she said is this. Your, your family, your own marriage as you grow up will crumble. Apparently her husband had been cheated. And the daughter had said those things concerning her to mock her, discredit her. And he said, that will be the same thing with your family. Your family will be broke. And oh my goodness, as I'm saying this, it's such a painful situation. That is exactly what happened. Broken marriage. In fact, this woman has been married, the daughter has been married twice with children from these two men. And now the second marriage is about to close again. I'm telling you, it's only by the mercies of God that a person can be free from such. I'm telling you, if you are cursed, ha, ah, don't, don't make no mistake. These things are, are real. Make no mistakes. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul met a, 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 someone who was opposing the gospel, a sorcerer, and said, now I decree, I decree and declare that you'll be blind in this moment. Read it in the book of Acts. And the guy was blind immediately. Don't mess with, when, when someone has authority over you, Paul in that situation had authority over principalities, over territories. So the authority worked. Peter, in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, had authority over the church. Your parents, make no mistake, have authority over you. If they speak the wrong, huh, except by the mercies of God, I don't want you to downplay it. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm saying this because I care. I, I know what I have seen. I know people have counseled. There are people, there was someone I counseled recently, and the person was sharing this and this. I was like, the question the Lord asked me to ask was, what's your relationship with your parents? And the, the relationship is just a mess. And that's where the problem was. There was a point she, she mentioned that she remembers that there was a time she remembered things just started going sour for her. Things were just not working out. A time where her mom cursed her, said some terrible things to her, and rightly so, because she said some bad things to her mom as well. And, oh my goodness. Let me give you a chance to repent. Let me give you a chance to repent. You know this is you. You know you have dishonored your parents. You've dishonored your spiritual parents as well. That, that also counts. You've dishonored your guardians, those who have been given authority over you. I want you to repent. God, forgive me. God, in any way that I've opened the door through my dishonor to demonic influences, to catastrophic, catastrophic events of things in my life, Lord, by your mercy, deliver me. Deliver me. Pray now. A few seconds. Pray now. Pray now. Pray now. Pray now. God wants to deliver some people. Pray now. Ha. The devil is wicked. Oh, la bala teko supractike fires. Oh, yes, Lord. Repent, repent. God, I am sorry. I am sorry. I am sorry. By your mercy, deliver me. Deliver me. Everything that has been said or thought in the negative concerning me, by those in authority over me, Lord, I, I repent. By your mercy, deliver me. Deliver me. Deliver me.
where you have erred, where you have been rebellious, arrogant, I repent, Lord. Have mercy on me. I repent, Lord. Have mercy on me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's it. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to tr take it a step further. If you know this is you, and you've messed up, you were arrogant, you erred on the side of dishonor, let your repentance show in your actions. Go and meet these people. Go and meet that parent. Go and meet that guardian. Ask for forgiveness. I know what I'm saying. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. The second thing, we talked about growing in favor, and we said that growing in favor means, uh, and how that works for you to grow in favor, where you can attract the blessings of your parents is when you honor them. I'm, I've shown you how to honor your parents. Number two thing that you need to grow in is growing in independence. Growing in independence. Growing in independence. And that's, this just means to establish your adulthood. Establish your adulthood. You become an adult, according to the law, at the age of 18. But many of us still live like children late into our 20s. And that's not God's plan. God wants you to be independent. Even when you watch the animal kingdom, you know, I used to watch these a lot growing up. They'll tell you, look, this child, when this, this animal bears children, they take care of them, you know, for a certain amount of time. But afterwards, they go. They leave, start their own families. That's, that's, how, that's the picture of families that, that God has instituted. There should be independence. A man ought to leave his father's house and be with his own wife and, and have his own house with his own wife. That's the idea. Now, I'm not, this is not me trying to rush you and tell you, ah, at age 25, you're staying in your parents' house. What are you doing? Hurry up. No, no, no. If you don't have to go, the situations of being at home are okay. There's no pressure. It's fine. By all means, please, I, I honestly believe it's fine. But if you are the kind of person complaining that my parents are so overprotective, I can't go anywhere I want, I can't do what I want, I feel caged, oh my goodness, uh, there's no freedom for me, I feel like I'm not my own person. <laughs> if that's you, please, by all means, grow in independence. Start to prove your adulthood to them. Sometimes parents mean well, especially when it comes to firstborn daughters. I promise you, they really do mean well, but they can get a tad bit overprotective. They can. They can. And you can't blame them. If you were to put yourself in their shoes, you probably might do the same. You just don't know. You just don't realize it. Well, you can grow in independence. And I'll show you three ways to do that. Number one. Prove responsibility. Number one, prove responsibility. How do you organize yourself? How do you carry yourself? Right? Can you do well without any supervision? Can you take care of yourself without supervision? Do you cross boundaries? Do you come back home you know, early on time? Things like this. These are things that count. They told you, don't come later than this to the house. Are you responsible responsible enough to do that? Do you take up responsibilities in the house? Do you take up new things? Are you paying for things? Yes, you're not paying rent under your parents' house, but are you taking care of other things? Are you footing the bill on that? Okay, you know what? You're taking care of all of this. Can I pay for the fuel? 
When you do those things, you are asserting your independence in some way. You are asserting your adulthood. Number two, prove accountability. Number one, prove responsibility. Number two, prove accountability. Let them know what's happening in your life. Let them know. Let them know. Right? Involve them. Let them know where you are part-time. You know, especially if you are living with them. Are you closed off? Are they, you know, when they only would make assumptions based on what they can see and observe. But if you're not accountable such that they don't know what is happening, they don't know where, they don't know where you are part-time, they have no clue what you're doing with your life, what your goals are, when you want to marry, you'll just make a mess of the whole thing. They will never be able to truly trust you. The point of growing in independence and in your adulthood is for them to be able to trust you, to be able to trust that you're able to go into the wild figuratively, to be able to fend for yourself now. If they don't see those qualities, that you're a responsible man, responsible woman, able to contribute to the wellness of the house and the family and take care of yourself, they will not trust you. And so they will put those limits in place because they think they're doing it to protect you and rightly so. Many of you are not ready. You are really not ready to be on your own. Many of you, you go to, if you get to rent your own apartment, have a roommate, you're just not, you're not just going to do things well the way they should be done. And, and it's probably better for some of you to be where you are right now with your parents. But I'm telling you, as you're growing into adulthood, assert your independence. Do better. Be more responsible. Be more accountable. And the last thing, prove your financial capability. Oh, this is the big one. Prove your financial capability. You need to prove to these guys, uh, look, <laughs> I may not have all the money in the world, but I'm okay. I can take care of myself. I can save. I have a budget. I don't squander money. I am shrewd with my resources. I know how to handle what I do. I'm meticulous about it. They need to see it. They need to see it. Prove it. Contribute. Show how you take them. You know, take care of them. Take care of some bills. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very important. But grow in independence. Anything that you can do to show with them and show them that, look, you are a responsible adult. You can take care of yourself. You probably can also take care of someone else, you know, especially if you're pursuing a relationship and you want to settle down. They need to be able to see. When I was going to get married, thank God, I was living in my parents' house. I was going to cut costs. <laughs> I was not going to get some apartment and... I already said to myself, look, if I wasn't going to, you know, get married at that particular time, I was going to leave the house eventually because at the same time, I needed my space. I needed the space to have flexibility on the things I needed to do. Do you understand? Without having to have them worried about when I've come home or not. Do you understand? Um, but here's the thing. I stayed at home with my parents till I was ready to get married. All right. Of course, I relocated and lived on my own for a while. But by that time, my parents, when I, brought up, when I brought up the idea that I was going to engage, you know, and propose, you know, to my fiancé then, there was no opposition. They had seen that I was responsible, a responsible person. I was responsible in my relationship with this person. I wasn't maltreating this person or being promiscuous. I was decent, principled, accountable. When I brought it up to them, they're like, oh. We wish you well. We bless this from the bottom of our hearts. 
it's, it's, it's possible for you to assert your independence and do it the right way by proving your responsibility, proving your accountability and your financial capability. And the last thing I'm, I'm going to talk about in the aspect of areas that you need to grow. Number one, you said you need to grow in favor and you do that by honoring. You need to grow in independence and you do that by being responsible. And number three, growing in wisdom in your relationship with them. This is where you know how to handle parents, especially if they are difficult. And many times, to be honest with you, parents are not always trying to be difficult. Sometimes the intentions, the motivations are right. But the approach and the presentation of it uh, can just come off the wrong way. And sometimes we call it tough love. They are shouting at you because they don't want you to go into the wrong crew or the wrong association or make wrong mistake that they probably made when they were younger. A lot of parents are like that. They can be overprotective. They can be super passionate because they super are passionate about you. They, they super care, you know, about you. And you can't blame them. Of course, we do have some very, very silly people who, I, I mean, and this happens, I see, seems to happen a lot in situations where there's a stepfather or there's a stepmom. In those situations, many times there is some sidelining that happens, just like you've seen in Cinderella, right? You've watched the Cinderella story where Cinderella is from the previous you know, relationship and now this woman has her own kids, her kids should enjoy while you should be sidelined. Do you understand? There are also some mothers, sadly, who start to, when, you know, the father-daughter bond where it exists, the father pays attention to the daughter and because the, this mother is insecure, starts to get jealous of her daughter. I've seen things. You've watched African Magic. You know how these things work. You know, and, and this is not just on screen. This is happening in actual people's homes. It's actually happening in people's homes. It is. It's terrible. But you can manage those situations in wisdom. You can grow in wisdom in how you handle difficult parents. Praise the name of Jesus. And let me show you how to do that in some simple steps. Number one, be patient. <laughs> be patient. Be patient. They did it before. They, they probably will do it again. Be patient with them. Be patient with them. Patience is such a, is a fruit of the spirit that I think really trains you. It really, oh, it really trains you. They've done something wrong. Maybe you talked about it. They promised they will never do it again. They will never shout at you or slap you or I'm just giving examples. But they did it again. Be patient. It's a fruit of your spirit. Number two, put yourself in their shoes. This is how to be wise in how you approach them. Put yourself in their shoes. Understand the motivation. Why are they doing what they're doing? Every time. Why are they doing what they're doing? Especially when it's a difficult situation. Why are they doing what they're doing? Do you understand? Put yourself in their shoes. So you understand that, look, maybe possibly in their situation, you, you might not have approached it that way, that way, but your heart was right. It was out of love and compassion. Number three, watch your tone. And this talks about learning to communicate better. Watch your tone. When you talk to parents, you need to realize there's a certain level of pride and privilege that they have to, to watch over you, to have authority over you. And when you challenge that, you are, you are literally ta targeting the privilege and the pride that they have, you know, in, in, in such a way. And, and that can change the whole story. I know you're upset. I know sometimes they, they might anger you. I know sometimes they might, you know, just not understand you. But don't snap at them. Don't you dare. Don't you dare snap at them. Don't you dare give that remark 
I know many of you, you've been formed this way. This is how, you're, maybe in your house, it's, it's almost like that's the atmosphere where they, you can talk back. But don't do that in the name of the Lord. Please, watch your tone. Learn to communicate better. You are angry, hold the anger. Swallow the anger. Hold it. When that period has gone and that phase has fizzled out, then you can go. When you're in the right space, you've prayed, you've gotten wise counsel, go back. Mom, um... I'm sorry that you were angry in what you did. I, I, I wanted to just apologize to you. But I also wanted to tell you that I would have appreciated if you had done this this way. And, and look, this is a prescription. I am not saying this is always how it will work. I know you can have very, very difficult parents that don't even want to hear what I'm saying. They don't want to hear anything. They are always right, and that's the final verdict. For such people, only God can help them. But you do your part. This, this is what you can control. You cannot control their responses. Focus on what you can control. You can control how you respond. You're not going to react. You will think about it through the sieve of the fruit of the Spirit and the will and wisdom of God, and you will respond the right way. I am sorry. I would prefer you have said this and this because this is the reason why, 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 why. And you're doing this calmly. You're doing this collected you are even more or less being <laughs> parenting the adult in that situation, parenting the parent. When you are able to show them the right example that they themselves should have set in the first place, you are parenting the parent. Praise the name of Jesus. Number four. Number four. This is how to walk in wisdom when managing parents and growing in wisdom. Number four, and this is important. Prioritize your mental health. Prioritize your mental health. If you're ever in a space, especially when living with your parents, and it's difficult for you. It's difficult, you need air to breathe. It's chaotic, you're always doing one thing or the other. You don't have time for yourself. You feel choked, you feel caged, imprisoned, incarcerated. Whatever it is, you're losing your mind. Then you need to take a break. You need to prioritize your mental health. Find some safe space. Probably, if you can, be with someone that you trust that is a safe space for you. Or go somewhere where you can cool off and rejuvenate and get better, but prioritize your mental health. If you're not having it, don't push yourself beyond the limit. There's only so much you can take. Prioritize your mental health. Talk to someone who can help you. Find an immediate temporary fix. If you have to go to your cousin's house where it's much better, go. If you have to go to that friend's house, of course, of the same sex, by the grace of God, go. Right? Be there. <coughs> have a space where you can breathe part-time, especially when you can get choked up if your family is that kind of family. But that is a temporary fix where you are just going somewhere in the meantime. It leads me to the next point, which is kind of more long-term solution. Have an exit strategy. If you're living with your parents, it's becoming chaotic, it's becoming unbearable, have an exit strategy. What's your plan to leave that place? You have to go at some point. Remember, some of you are in your 20s, you are an adult, you have every legal right to leave the house. You have. I know some parents are like, you're not, you, not my daughter, you will not leave this house until you are married. You will not, your husband will come and pluck the, fl the flower in this garden. This is the garden, he will pluck you from here. You're not going anywhere. And many times they speak to that because they don't trust you enough. Or maybe they don't trust the outsider, whatever is the case. 
You need to be able to see that you can handle yourself. But eventually, there needs to be an exit strategy. Are you saving up for it? Are you, is there someone you can live with that, that is better, even if it's family, right? But you need an exit strategy. You do. You do. The reason why many of you I know you've not left, some of you have not left your father's house, your mother's house, is because you don't want a rift. You are well over 18, and it's not because maybe you can't find a place to stay, but you don't want to cause a rift between them. But see, if it's getting out of hand, maybe involve someone that is a mutual friend, someone that can listen to them, understand your plight, you know, as, as respectfully, as honest as possible, look you need your space you need some level of independence you will come visit as much but you need to you need your own space it's okay to assert that but you need an exit strategy whether for you it's masters whether for you it's a job somewhere else that you know where you can live separate somewhere please have an exit strategy plan an exit strategy next thing i'll say is preserve your image of god the father it's how you grow in wisdom the devil, many times, remember I described the family as a unit, as, an, as a societal institution that has spiritual implications. When the idea of a father has been misconstrued by an earthly father, where this example of a father is nothing what, like what a, a true good father should look like. You need to preserve your image of God, the good father. You need to remember that this father that you are seeing here is a flawed human being. Yes, it's an example for us to be able to somehow fathom how a relationship between father and child can be, but that is not your example. God the Father, the Good Shepherd, is our example. He is God, He is Father, He is perfect, He is faithful. It is your responsibility to preserve that image of the Good Father in your heart, in your mind, to remember and dissociate the two. This is my earthly father, this is my heavenly father. He, he is perfect, this man is not perfect. He, maybe he is trying as much as he can, but this is my example. This is who Father is. That is my example to follow. That's important. Preserve that. Many of you, your relationship with God is suffering because of this very thing. Because you've not enjoyed the privilege of a good father, a good parent. You haven't. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry that you had to go through that kind of experience. But I can tell you that God is good. He is good father. Pastor Chisholm prayed it at the beginning, that God is good. He is present. You might not have even an earthly father anymore. God is father. God cares. God protects. God provides. And God leads with precision. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. And the last thing I'll say is this. Forgive them when they hurt you. Forgive them when they hurt you. Forgive them when they hurt you. This is how you grow in wisdom. When they make mistakes, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Praise the Lord. I'll just say a word to the parents here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. If you're a parent, maybe an intending parent, and maybe definitely a future parent, this is for you. I want you to remember this. Ephesians 6 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. <laughs> a lot of parents would raise, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. They don't <laughs> go to verse 4. <laughs> they stop there. But they have a part to play. 
Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't ever provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look at that. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not too late to get right with your children, dear parents, if you're listening. Maybe you've had a rocky relationship with your parents. It's been fractious, um, it's fractious and it's been just all over the place. It's not too late. You have these children just once in this lifetime. It's not too late to get it right. You can humble yourself. If you know you're, you're the one at fault, you cause a rift. You can mend it. You can bridge the gap. It's not too late. You don't have to be best of friends, but you can mend it. You can start somewhere. All right. Paying school fees is not parenting. Paying school fees is not parenting. Barking orders at them is not parenting. Providing is not all that there is to parenting. There is more. There is more. It's the discipline. It's the, it's the intimacy in raising them in the Lord. That's true parenting. You will give an account to God of the children you have raised. I promise you, you will. If you're a parent listening to this, don't anger your children. Don't provoke them onto anger. I'm going to land this teaching with one final thing. And this is just perspective to push you into the future. Being better parents in the future. Right? Just being good parents. Actual good parents here at Vivify. I believe by the grace of God, our generation will be better. I think many of us are more aware. We've seen some of the gaps in generation. And I hope we are truly ready to bridge them because <clears throat> there's quite a number of those gaps. But we can do better. We can be good parents even as we go. And the training to be better starts now. It starts now. It starts now. It starts now. Many people are dealing with trauma and they still say this thing that they want their family. Their family will be different. Their own family will be different. If you don't get the help, you don't get the wisdom you need, you're just going to repeat that cycle. Many things that we see our parents do that are wrong, sometimes they carried it from their own parents. I remember there was a time my dad used to flog me and my brother. Oh, my dad loved flogging us. He loved flogging us. It was almost like it was a case of Cain and Abel. Emphasis on Cain. He... <laughs> He used to flog me and my brother a lot, especially me, because sometimes I would just run to my dad. I, I, I can't believe I'm even saying this publicly. I would just go to his ear and just burp in his ear, like just belch, <laughs> and he will flog me. Oh, my goodness. I was just something else, you know, and he, he, many times he will flog us for things. He will not give reason, just lie down, flog, and that's how his dad treated them. It was so bad. My dad's, my, my grandpa would put, you know, powdered, grinded pepper on their back, their bare backs, and flog them under the sun. It was so terrible. And my dad wanted to replicate that. My mom said, hey, no, not with my children. No. <laughs> you will not do that. And my mom's method was we will talk to them. We will talk to these children. They will listen. We will give them reasons for what we are saying. And we will see them practice it by the grace of God. They, they are not goats. That's what she said. They are not goats. They are children. You know. I was about to crack a joke that they're not goats, they're kids. And you say, well, that's the same thing. Because, you know, kids are like the kids of goats. All right. Yeah. But you get the point. Um, there are things that our parents are doing simply because they were parented that way. That's how they were raised. And if you don't want to repeat those things, you need the wisdom, you need the help to break free from those traumas. Let me tell you what to do, especially 
if you're from a dysfunctional family and you want to do better, or maybe you've seen a lot of errors and gaps in the parenting of your parents and you want to do better, here are some things. I'll just mention uh, a few of them that you should do. Um, and things that we will take as our mantras, things we will take as our responsibility henceforth. Number one, we will understand before being understood. This is how to be a better parent. Understand what they are saying. Don't assume. We will understand first before wanting to be understood. It's a principle. Listen before you speak. Be slow to speak and listen, James tells us. Number two, we will be teachable and humble. That's who we will be. Praise the name of Jesus. This is prophetic. We will be teachable and humble by the grace of God. So where we need to apologize, we will apologize. And, and some parents can't even fathom it. Me, a whole me, apologize to Junior. Never, never. I'm right. If you have that mentality, you will never grow. You will never grow. It's not right. It's not a godly attitude. It's not a godly attitude to not own up to your mistakes. If you made a mistake, you should not have shouted. You should not have thrown that you know, bathroom slippers at a child. Apologize. Apologize. You said some hurtful things you shouldn't have said. Apologize as a parent. Number three, and that way we're going to do better as a generation, we will be present. We will be present. We're not going to ship them off to boarding school or just ship them off to this place or we work a nine to nine and we don't see our kids at all. Maybe you're a, you're a father, you've worked your nine to nine, or you're a mother, you're doing a, doctor, a medical practice, and your shifts are just very odd hours. And when you come home, your kids are already sleeping. And you're so tired, by the time you wake up, they've already gone to school. And you, you barely even seen them for an entire week. Don't live that kind of life. Don't let your job take you away from your primary responsibility to care for these children. If you don't want to have children, that's your business. That's your choice. But if you bring children into this world, God will hold you accountable. He will. That's your primary assignment, to grow them in the Lord. Because you will give an account. Every life matters. Every life matters. Think of it as an opportunity for you to easily make a convert out of them. It's one of the best ways, I'm telling you. Many times we, we characterize pastors' sons or pastors' daughters as the rebellious sons. But check it. A great number of those who are exposed at least to the right approach of Christianity are still in the faith and growing in the faith. I am one of them. I'm telling you, it's one of the easiest ways to indoctrinate. But you'll be present. You'll be present. You will know what is happening in their life. You'll know who their friends are. You'll know who their crushes are. Yes. Yes. And I'm thankful that my mom adopted that method. She knew who my crushes were. From time to time, we could talk. There was a safe space. She was present. She asked the right questions. What did you learn in school? Who is your friend? And by the time you ask those questions, you will not even realize what the children are saying. They will just start opening up and feel like they can talk about these things. And you in love will correct the excesses and you know, just you know, lead them and, 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 and raise them in, in wisdom. Number four, we will be our children's primary educators. We will be our children's primary educators. A lot of us, when you think about, sometimes this is why I consider homeschooling. I'll be honest with you. I consider homeschooling because when there's corporate conventional schooling, what happens is you send these kids from, what, 9 a.m. maybe to 3 p.m. They're in school for all these hours, learning all these subjects, and we barely have time to talk to them. We have barely time to, to share with them our own values and, and share with them these things. It's, sometimes it's difficult to think about. 
But even if that's the case, and you cannot manage to school them at home, you must educate them primarily. What are their views about, you know, reality and God and, and gender and all these things as they age? You must be their first exposure to sexual education. I believe that. I believe that when a child starts to be aware of their, themselves, their body parts, you should have those conversations. You tell them this part of your body, this is what it's called, and nobody should touch you there. Educate them, prevent, you know, help them. Do you know how many children have been abused, sexually speaking, physically speaking? It's a lot. And it's simply because the parents were negligent, because the parents never made those children aware. As, as early as three, four, five, they need to be able to say stop to anyone who tries to do nonsense. Be the educators, teach them about sex, yes, but also teach them about the word of God. Raise them, be their primary educators, right? Number five, we will discipline but not abuse. We will not inflict damage on them. We will discipline but we will not abuse. And this is important, it could be physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, we will not do that. And I believe, I, I talked about this during Q&A, there is a thin line between discipline and abuse. And the thin line is motivation and impact. That's where the thin line is. The motivation, were you saying that thing you said out of anger? Did you flog that child or beat that child or spunk that child because you were angry and you just, in that moment, hated the child, you were bitter, you were enraged, bah, bah, bah. If you do that, that's abuse. It's abuse. It's not driven by love. So it's abuse. That's not discipline. Lord, the Bible talks about God, that God disciplines those he loves. It's, it's driven by love. And also, I'm saying impact because sometimes we loved our children, but we did things and we crossed the line. Imagine you love your child, but still you're like, you are very silly and you just did something and the impact hurts this child. Maybe you said something, it broke the child's self-esteem completely, or literally you did something to the child. The child was hurt, maybe started bleeding, was impacted physically. That is also abuse. We will not be those people. We will not abuse our children in any way. Number six, we will get the help we need not to repeat the mistakes of our parents. It's not enough to say, I will not repeat the mistakes of my parents. God forbid, never again. It's not enough. Get help. Get help. Some of you have been in relationships where your, your father beats your mother. If you're not careful, it will transpire in your own family. You, if you're the lady, you will, tr you will fight for survival. You will try to have an approach where you close off men so they don't have the chance to beat you like that. And if you're a guy, somehow you've seen conflict resolution being resolved with fists. And somehow, because that was the example you had, you start to do the same thing to your future wife. But that's not us. We will get the help that we need to break free from those vicious cycles and patterns in Jesus' name. Don't bargain on your children's lives. Don't do it. Don't, don't, and don't simply do something because it was done to you. You can step out of that bubble, step out of that cycle, and be the difference in your generation. Number seven, we will raise them in the Lord. We will raise them in the Lord. This is what it means to be a better parent. Let me give you a chance to pray right now. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.